We are at episode 50. Who would have thunk it? My goodness. So set to kick off here. I am Mick, and we thank you very kindly for hanging out with us, man. 50 episodes. That's pretty wild. Well, to do something to celebrate something that wild, we had to go north, way north, up to Alaska to get our next guest here, and that is uh, Mr. John Freeman. Now, John, uh, I always do a thing normally where I guess what jersey you wore when you played. And I don't, and as anyone who's listened to this can tell, I make mistakes. And uh, I don't pretend, I don't use the internet to look things up to cheat. I just do everything from uh, my memory banks or lack thereof. Uh, and uh, I try to guess. So I'm, if I, I'm trying to remember. For some reason, the number 18 rings out at me. Uh, were you number 18? I was always number eighteen, but I actually don't think I got it that year. If I don't, if I remember right, I think someone, yeah, because I was a came in as a rookie, so I think one of the one of the uh, vets had it, uh, and I, I really, if I remember right, I think they just gave me something in the twenties. I don't even remember now. Oh, okay. I, well. I, I might be wrong. I I was always eighteen up to that point. I if I remember right. Some reason that that number sticks out at me, and like I said, I don't use the internet to look things up. So, and most people probably are screaming at their computers. Maybe you should, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway. But uh, first off, uh, glad to have you here. Um, and well, I guess to kick things off, what part of Alaska were you? Were you? Are you from? We're from and are from. Uh, I grew up in Wasilla, Alaska. Uh, we were really quiet and off the map until Sarah Palin came on and everybody started yep. knowing where the heck I was from. Uh, <laughs> we live in Palmer now and uh, we're actually up about 75 miles east of that at a cabin we have in Eureka, Alaska. Oh my so goodness. So I might have to I mean... say I might have to poke the, uh, the phone out the window or something. I've got a, uh, I, we we do it cabin style up here, so you know it is whatever uh, curtains and stuff came or whatever was available. You know these cabins are always full of that. You know, no one buys new stuff for it, right? It's always the the <laughs> curtains that went out of style. Like oh, we'll take them to the cabin, futons, uh, everything else. I'm on like some '80s futon. You know, it's full on orange and. Orange and browns and all those those great colors from, from back in the day. But uh, let's let's put it this way: my better half, she she likes to she loves that kind of stuff, and she refers to it as rustic. I don't uh, know what rustic it, is. That's why we call them rustic cabins, right? It's a rustic yeah. cabin life. That that works for me. Yeah, I have no idea, John, what rustic is. All I know is that she told. Let's put it this way: we planned, uh, well, we planned uh, our our getting married. I was like, uh, I said, okay, I said, you know, let's talk about this. What kind of wedding, you know, are we going to do honeymoon? That kind of stuff. She goes, I want a rustic wedding. And my first comment was, what is rustic? (laughs) She took one look at me and said, you take care of the honeymoon. I'll take care of the wedding. (laughs) That's not a bad deal. Yeah. Well, it, it, well, I took her, uh, Took her somewhere nice, so it, it was, uh, you know, it, it cost, but at, at the end of the day, it was worth it. And but uh, it was funny um, to me, you know. I had no idea. I still don't. Um, all I know is that uh, my our wedding cake had leaves draping off of it, and I'm like, wow. 
what the heck is this? She's like, Sounds it's rustic. rustic. Yeah, she goes, she, that's exactly what she said. She goes, it's rustic. And I'm going, oh, crap. All right, whatever. Um, so I'm like, did I, I mean, do I have a, 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 like a hippie here? I mean, gee whiz, but, eh, you know, it, you, you, you'll, you deal with what you got. So, and she's, she's priceless. Say, I, I might have to not let the, uh, not let my wife listen to this after she hears you <laughs> went on honeymoon. I, we've been married like 22 years and I think I still owe her a honeymoon. Ooh. Well, just tell her you, hey, uh, isn't Alaska enough? <laughs> I, I have tried that one. It did not go over well. Apparently, she thinks palm trees and beaches are a dedicated requirement. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll get to it before we before we hit 25 years, I think. I, I just want to make sure this one was going to last before I poured the money into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's too funny. Now, oh, you know, you can always do. You can always get a room and in uh in dawson's creek or dawson uh in uh down in the in canada and oh, yeah. uh, put in a room and uh, deck it up with like a florida motif and just take her there say hey honey we're going south for you know our our, our anniversary and uh just do that route and of course yeah. you know when you come back and you get served with your then current divorce papers you can yes. say hey at least i tried <laughs> you can just say hey at least i tried but uh, anyway, That's a good so, point. we actually we were Air Force and got stationed down in Tampa, Florida. So I could just pretend like that was our tropical. Uh, you know, yeah, our so tropical. I took her down there for a couple of years, you know. Hey, you do what you got to do. You know, it's all it's all about, you know, using your mind and creating the scenery. Just create the paint the picture. That's what they always told us in broadcast school. Paint the picture and stuff. But uh, anyway, let's uh, let's get talking about this, though. Uh, you know, you talked about growing up in Wasilla and. Uh, what was it like there? Because, I mean, as cold as everyone automatically associates with Alaska and how cold it is and, you know, it's got to be this, it's got to be that. Um, in terms of, I mean, in terms of a hockey scene, what was it like growing up? Was there much of a hockey scene? Because up until the Aces, really, I mean, you got the, you got the Chinooks and, uh, Etc. Yeah, the, and the, the Nanooks up in Fairbanks. Or Nanooks, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's what I meant. Yeah, we had the uh, or had the Sea Wolves, uh, UAA Sea Wolves in Anchorage. So grew up watching those guys. Uh, actually, grew up being coached by a bunch of them. Uh, Darren Seminook, uh, Pete McEnany, some guys that you know set a lot of records for the school up there, and uh, then uh, Mike Peluso who uh, went on to play in the NHL was a uh, mm-hmm. coach for us for a while, uh, coach defense and, uh, you know, would come out from time to time. So it was a, it was an interesting time for most of my younger days of, of, of uh, hockey. Just, I don't know. There was a doc in Anchorage that decided they were going to put together like the greatest team that they could possibly do. And uh, they, you know, brought in some really good coaches, uh, and then really spared no no expense. I was on the Alaska All Stars, uh, and I remember when I went in and tried out because I moved back to Alaska. Uh, my dad was military. I moved back to Alaska in like '87, and that's when I play, started playing hockey. So I was like eight years old, seven eight years old before I ever laced up skates. Uh, well, what got you? Then, what got you into the game? Who was there a favorite team or favorite player? Uh, Really, my uncle and my cousins played when we came up, so we stayed with them for a little while uh, when we first moved back up. So we 
you know, my dad had just got out of the military at that point. So we, uh, we crashed with them for a little while and I got toted around to some of their hockey stuff and was like, ah, that sounds like fun. So we were playing, you know, just pure house, have fun hockey. And I think the first time I ever scored a goal, I scored three of them. Just good. I couldn't skate. I was goofy. I mean, I, I probably stayed goofy all the way up till I finished playing. Yeah, I'm like six and a half feet tall. So, uh, but anyway, the I guess a year or so after that, we went in and uh, the team in Anchorage had a uh, the All Stars had a tryout, and we went and tried out for their B team. Both me and my cousin, and the uh, A team coach was watching it and came down. I was like, you know, basically told me and my cousin that if we could talk my uh, our friend uh, Ryan Stetson, who was a goaltender to come over with us that he would, uh, you know, that he would take the whole, all three of us and we could be on his A team. And, uh, so it wasn't a hard deal to convince us to do. So we played, uh, started there and then, uh, played with them for, I don't know, I guess I spent about four years playing on that team as it came up, uh, had a pretty impressive run. We won international silver sticks twice. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so it was a pretty, it was a pretty impressive team uh, that came out of it. Barrett Heiston went on to get drafted, I want to say by Dallas Stars in the first round, if I remember right. Uh, hmm. Oh, Will Magnuson that I played with a lot growing up went on to, I want to say Maine, uh, played for the University of Maine, if I remember right. Uh, and then Ty Jones went and. Spent a few years uh, boxing in the in the NHL, uh, but <laughs> I I went through that for about four years. It was just really really intense, and uh, I I made a jump to a uh, to another program with a few of the guys, and uh, the coaching and stuff kind of shifted gears on that program, and uh, it was just a di- different atmosphere. Got kind of burnt out and. Uh, kind of slipped back to house and in high school hockey and, and got off the radar uh, really all the way up until I showed up at tryouts. Uh, for well, what was the hockey like? What was the hockey like in uh, at the high school level in Ala- up there where you were at? Pretty competitive. Uh, you know, it's, I think like a lot of smaller areas, you know, we don't have a huge population. It's hard to, we don't have like magnet schools. Um, East and service usually had pretty good populations, uh, you know, enough, just larger, larger student bodies. So they were, you know, frequently able to get some pretty good players in and build a team, uh, you know, and I mean, that's even still true for their football program and everything else. They just have a huge student body. So with more people you're able to put together, you know, you have a better chance of more talent, more players. Uh, most of the teams had a line, you know, you know, usually can put together a pretty good starting line and second line. And then it, uh, it dropped pretty fast after that was, was pretty typical whenever I was growing up, but you know, we only had the Valley I lived in, I think was like 38 or 45,000 people or something like that, uh, split between a couple different schools. Uh, we actually were ended up being split between three, the early years when there was only two high schools, it was funny because like, in the early nineties, uh, late eighties, very early nineties before I got to high school and they opened the third high school in our area. 
the uh, Palmer and Wasilla played for the state championship. And really? then whenever they, they dropped the new, the new high school right in the middle of them, my school colony. And then, uh, you know, basically it just divided the programs up so much that we didn't know, no single school had the, uh, the student body really to, to be able to build a, a full tilt program like that. Uh, so the Anchorage teams pretty much ran it for as much, as far as I'm aware after that. Hmm. Okay. Now, uh, did you ever, I mean, was your routine schedule back then in high school, especially was the routine schedule to play not only, uh, uh, Palmer, but, uh, schools in, in Anchorage. And did you ever go to like Juno or Fairbanks to play? We never went to Juno, but we went to Fairbanks and played them. And we went to Kenai and played them and Actually, Kenai, uh, Soldatna down in the Kenai Peninsula had a pretty good team. And one of the only players that I played against, you know, aside from Scotty Gomez, were, you know, someone that stands out as somebody you face off against and is like, holy heck, this guy is, you know, just truly amazing. Uh, but a commercial fisherman down there, a kid named Carl Saltz, I have never hit anybody or been hit by anybody as hard as that kid he was not particularly huge but i don't know i I guess he just spent all his spare time pulling crab pots or fish nets or something but uh, (laughs) we hit open ice so hard it you know i just remember like it knocked the wind out of me neither one of us fell down we just both staggered back and then when i went to move my left arm it did not do what it was supposed to do anymore i actually broke my collarbone Uh, oh which is fun on a trip, uh, you know, out of town, school bus, all nine, you know. So I uh, got a trip to the got a trip to the dock, and they basically there's nothing you do for a collarbone. I I probably would have saved some money and not made the trip to the dock at that point if I'd have known that. Um, <laughs> you know, at least just walked in and be like, oh, you guys are just going to tie this figure eight thing around and hand me some Percocets. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Went bowling later that night. The Percocets were good. <laughs> oh my gosh that is funny. i actually did fairly well my uh you know my buddies were so unnerved by the sound of weird bones clacking in my uh in my shoulder when i'd roll the ball that they were a little uh they were a little off their game <laughs> that's called gaining an advantage uh, oh yeah now as far as him did he get any any damage to him no when you guys hit? Uh, oh. i think so yeah he we we met later after that. I never really talked to the guy before then, but we met, I think at a clinic or a camp or something later. And he was like, that is the single hardest, like for nobody to fall down. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just one of those deals where it just, it sounded bad. It sounded like a wreck, uh, but yeah, that kid was built solid, man. Ow. That hurts. Just thinking about it. Well, that's, that's what we call country strong, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so now, I mean, uh, what, I mean, how many games did you guys play in a season, you know? Oh, I guess it was 20 something probably. Uh, you know, we usually played everybody local twice was typically it. Uh, and then we'd go up to Fairbanks and play one team. And then usually one of the other Fairbanks teams would come down and, uh, or we do an away and home type deal. So yeah, it's somewhere in the, somewhere in the 20 games or so. How long were the bus rides? Uh, Fairbanks is a long trip. Uh, it's 
I don't know, 360 miles. So at bus speeds, it's a, it's an all day adventure. You know, and then you get up there yeah. and then they expect you to play. The weirdest thing I ever played is actually not far from where my cabin is. And my cabin is, I guess, about halfway between uh, you know, where I grew up in a town called Glen Allen. And Glen Allen had a Zamboni that was like serial number like five or something. It was this old, <laughs> uh, didn't have a cowling on the top, so you saw the snow fly. But they had an outdoor rink and a Zamboni. They didn't have decent lighting on the place, and it was always dark. So you get up there, and I swear these guys were heating up the therm- the uh, thermometer because you couldn't play if it was like more than ten below zero, and I know it was it was more than that. Uh, but it was a that was a pretty pretty interesting game because everybody would come around their snowmobiles. We call them snow machines or sleds up here, but that like literally the town came out on snowmobiles and. You know, they were all around, like they were just sitting on their sleds watching the watching the game on an outdoor rink. And this was, you know, at the time, it was my first year uh, and I was swinging JV. I was mostly playing uh, JV and swinging up for some varsity. But it was, uh, yeah, it was just an interesting deal. We took a ride up there. And if you lifted the puck over the height of the boards, you couldn't see it. So if someone chipped the, bo- the puck up to, like, dump it, Everybody just stand there looking around because you couldn't see it against the against the night sky. Just wait oh, for it to fall back on the ice somewhere. Wow, that I mean, that's crazy. How did you guys even manage to keep uh, keep stats? I mean, that had to be hard with when you have to play in conditions like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know that anybody really. I never saw a stat sheet that I recall on <laughs> really keeping track of of too much we kept track of penalties goals and you know they'd try and keep track of assists but in those conditions i mean i think we were all just happy to play people are like wrapping wool socks like around the outside of their of their skates trying to just stay warm you know they had a they had a little shed deal you could go and warm up in between periods while they zam the ice it was a uh i only played there once it was an interesting adventure that my gosh, I I can't I can't even imagine what that would be like. I mean, just watch an episode. Like, what was that movie, Mystery Alaska? Mystery there. Alaska. It was the closest thing I ever did growing up is playing like something out of that TV show or movie. Uh, yeah, was playing movie, in Glen yeah. Allen when I was a kid. Yeah, that, I mean that had uh, that movie had well they had boards up there, so it wasn't pond, yeah. it wasn't true pond hockey, but. Uh, uh, now, I mean, did you play a lot of pond hockey at all growing up, or was it mostly arena? Um, where I was at, we basically had about three schools that had outdoor ice, and that's where we spent the most of our time. And they kept trying to, uh, they kept trying to, you know, shut the lights off and stuff. I imagine it cost a lot of money to run it, but uh, we did a go down and line up trucks you know, all over the the ice and so we use the headlights to play. Uh but we usually were you know, we usually did have rinks for the most part. You know, we always had the typical friend that would try and make one in their backyard. But uh but usually we if we were doing outdoor stuff, we were doing it on one of the outdoor rinks. Uh, I remember they they put a lock. The lights were outside on the uh on the side of the school. It was I did a rod uh I did a ride elementary school and they had the light switch for all the big overhead lights was in a box on the side of the school and they'd lock it up. Well, at the end of the winter, you'd go over there 
and after the snow melted, it'd be like 25 locks, just cut, you know, cut locks, just where they people snip them off, throw them in the snow, turn the lights on and go play hockey. So eventually they got smart and moved the, uh, paid the money and moved the electrical inside. But for, uh, for years, you know, every, every, uh, spring you go out there and there'd be all these cut locks where they, where people would go in there and turn the lights on. Oh my goodness. That is, I, I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm trying to put the processes in my head and I can, you know, I'm a, I'm just a, I'm a city slicker. Okay. So I grew up, I was born and raised Toledo, Ohio proud, but uh, still, you know, it's like, I can't, I mean, as, as exciting to me as that sounds, I still can't even wrap my mind around that one because uh, first of all, I wouldn't survive unless I was born and raised in that environment. But you know it's... what? I think you'd be surprised. The first time I lifted a shovel full of Toledo snow, I was mm-hmm. blown away. That lake effect snow is so much worse than what we get. I can blow a foot of snow with my snow blower. I can pick it up and shovel it. You guys get three inches. A shovel full weighs 150 pounds. <laughs> I, I was just, I was blown away whenever they're like, oh, we're going to shovel the driveway. And I looked out, it was two, three inches of snow. Uh, I stayed up in Oregon. You guys mm-hmm. down in Ohio are interesting. I, I never understood how you, you guys had places named the same as other stuff, pronounced completely different. Uh, yeah, so. or Oregon yeah. instead of Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I that's where I stayed with the Kirk family up there. And uh, I just remember two, three inches of snow was enough to stop a truck. <laughs> you know, and I was yeah. kind of blown away by that. And uh, yeah, we went out to shovel it, and I definitely envisioned like pushing this off real quick. And uh, there, there was nothing fast about it, you know. And then, but there was kind of some neat, some neat things. I mean, I grew up here in Alaska, and I didn't have a lot of family around, so the people I went, you know, like the Kurt family and stuff, had a lot of family in the area. So it was kind of an interesting time watching them, you know we'd all load up the trucks and go from house to house shoveling out a driveway and then, you know, went to all the grandparents place and stuff and got them all cleaned out. And, you know, on a, on a big snowfall day, that was kind of a pretty standard fare that they did. And that wasn't anything that I had ever grown up with. You know, everybody up here was, I don't know. I mean, it was just a, not to say that that's not being self-sufficient. Like that's a great way to be, but everybody was always kind of expected to be so independent that it was never really even thought of to, you know, unless you saw somebody stuck, you know, we had some pretty typical rules. If you were out remote and saw somebody walking, you know, especially when I was younger than, you know, in the winter time, then you stop and, and figure out, you know, you see a car broke down, you don't just leave somebody out in the country, but, uh, that was the first time I'd been around a an area where there was a lot of family all living that had you know, multiple generations all in the same area. And, and to see how they all took care of each other was kind of neat. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the other thing, too, is the fact that you got, I mean, up there, it's probably because of its, I'm not saying uh, sparse population, but far fewer and fewer and in between as far as, uh, you know, distance between uh, between houses, I would think. And, uh, I mean, now, uh, Wasilla is probably one of the, um, larger cities. I wouldn't say larger, but, uh, probably one of the more yeah. medium sized cities. Yeah. I mean, you're right. We don't have any really large cities. Uh, Anchorage is our biggest Fairbanks is our, you know, probably still second 
Vegas. Juno's weird because you can't even get there. It's you know boat or plane to go to Juno. You can't drive there. Uh, so honestly, I've never even been to Juno. My kids have played football down there, but I've never had a reason to go. Um, but uh, the valley I live in, the Matanuska Susitna or Matsu Valley, is it was small. I mean, it was a big area. It was you know fairly. There was not a huge population, but it's grown up so much. Uh, you know, we're literally one of the, they've coined several bridges, the bridge to nowhere up here, but one of the bridges was supposed to give us a second road in and out of Anchorage. Uh, right now we have one. So, oh. yeah, there's a hundred and some thousand people that live in the greater Valley area, area that our port in our main city, there is the Glen highway is the only way to get there. So the earthquake here, you know, what I guess see two years ago now, uh-huh. about two years ago, uh, it shredded a piece of that highway and just shut traffic down. And then they had a, another bonehead move, a guy, uh, move a guy went through and was carrying way too big a load, too tall and smacked one of the bridges and broke our bridge. And it literally oh, shut no. down. Yeah. Traffic just went away. Like there was no way to go to Anchorage. So hundred thousand people, you know, and our one road had some kind of a, a catastrophic event. Uh, you know, they finally figured out a way to bypass that, but it required everybody to go through another town. So, you know, a huge number was commute. I used to commute in and out of town. So I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting place, but really for the cold and that stuff, we're not nearly as, uh, as kind of the wet and bone chilling cold that I found in Salido. I was, uh, you know, where I'm at is coastal. So we've got Cook Inlet comes along Anchorage. So we we have that ocean moderation. It's not like Fairbanks where we see, you know, Fairbanks go 100 below or 100 above zero and 70 below zero. So they're, they're so far removed from any kind of large bodies of water that they see massive temperature swings. Wow. Uh, so that's incredible. Yeah, very interesting place to be able to go. I, I played soccer up there when I was a little kid in Fairbanks, and it was literally 100 degrees. I had never seen anything like it in Alaska. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I, I grew up coastal, so we'd see 70s, odd 80. You know, most, of the, most of our summers are in the 60s. And then you go up to the interior of Alaska where you expect it to just always be cold, and that was every bit of 100 degrees. Oh, yowza. Uh, you know, I mean, here, I mean, being in Toledo, you, I mean, the weather changes about every 15 minutes. So, you know, you get used to it after a while, I guess, you know, you just, it's, and plus with the lake, you know, lake effect of stuff, you know, you, sometimes it's a little more humid. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's, so you find that, and, and I think that could be probably, I'm not a meteorologist, so I'm not going to pretend to be, but I would think that maybe the humidity is why the snow is, was so heavy you know yeah you yeah. know and and i would think and but still i mean now the other thing i i should ask you then too then talking about this stuff here uh and i promise we'll get into the toledo time and playing you playing <laughs> more hockey um but uh the daytime nighttime thing where it's in the in the summer you have like what 20 hours or 21 hours of daylight yeah, I mean, it never really gets so dark that you can't see, um, you know, during the peak of the fishing season, when we're out salmon fishing, and, you know, and I, I don't commercial fish. I just 
take a rod and reel and go out and have fun with the kids. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we can actually fish all night. You stop for maybe an hour. Yeah. Cause we usually drive, you know, a good two and a half, three hours down to get to the rivers, uh, with the big fish runs and, uh, the way they run the limits, it'd be like six a day, 12 in possession. So if you fish, you know, you start fishing, like you get off work, whatever you haul, butt down there, fish like crazy, try and get six fish before midnight. You know, I usually snap a picture of them. So I don't try and come in, you know, in case the game warden comes by, I can show it, like, see my picture at this time. And then uh, you can catch six more. So it's a pretty good hike back to like the Russian river. Where we, one of the areas we really like to fish and uh you can catch literally 12 fish per person wow now so um, i take now, like an hour about... nap in the middle of the night like literally that's all you have it gets dark enough where you can't really see to tie your rod or or to cast so you go and you know, lean up against a tree or whatever throw a net over your face to get the bugs off and and take like an hour hour and a half nap and then you can get right back up and fish all day Wow. Now, does that ever throw off your sleeping patterns or are you just used to it? It never really bothered me. My wife hates it. She wants like blacked out curtains and, you know, she absolutely hates the, the daylight in the summertime. Uh, but I don't know. I could just go to sleep usually, which drives her nuts. <laughs> no wonder she wants to go somewhere tropical. Anyway. Um, now at at night, do you uh, ever during the winter? Uh, does is the roll reversal there? Is it all? Is it night for a long period of time? Or yeah, I mean we get it's bad enough. Like if you commute to work, you'll drive there in the dark and you'll drive home in the dark. So if you don't have a good window or get outside for lunchtime, you know we have daylight where I'm at every day. Uh, my kid, my 18 year old, actually uh, he works up on the the oil fields. So he flies up there, works two weeks, and they go through a period, uh, you're right around solstice in December, January, where they don't have, they just don't see the sun all day. Uh, but wow. down where we're at, we get daylight, you know, sun comes up every day. Um, it's, it gets to the point where you got to capitalize on it. You, you got to plan your, you got to plan your day. If you have stuff outside that you need to do while it's daylight, then you need to, uh, you know, you definitely need to be on it, but it doesn't really get daylight till like 10 you know, it'll start getting dusk nine daylight around 10 o'clock. And then by two, it's starting to, you know, starting to taper off. And then, you know, like I said, I get off at four and wouldn't make it home before it was dark. Holy smokes. That's I, like, like I said, I could not get used to that one. That one. I, I that's ooh, no, <laughs> no, I worked but... to, I would say I initially worked in the basement of a hospital. So it literally felt like I was hibernating the winter time. I'd drive in and uh, I did medical equipment repair when I got right out of the military. And, and that's what I did for the military, fix x-ray machines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our office, they like to put those guys in the belly of the hospital, you know, so our office of was course. like downstairs. So you walk in the dark and then finish your day. We did tens and then walk back out in the dark. And it was just, yeah, it was like a, a time machine you couldn't tell what was up what was down yeah i was gonna say that see that would throw me off as far as uh trying to sleep when should i sleep because if it's dark all day like that oh i couldn't i couldn't handle that 
But um, I don't know. It's usually easier to go to sleep and just sleep too much when it's dark like that. The challenge is whenever you look around and it's two in the morning and you've been out like doing stuff, you're like, whoa, it's, you know, it's one, two in the morning. Like, hey, maybe we've been out hiking and stuff. It's like, I, I guess we should camp, maybe take some, you know, put a campfire, <laughs> eat some dinner. It's, it's getting a little late. Oh, my gosh. Like I said, that it that take a whole lot of getting used to, and I don't know if I could. But uh, so you you go from that. Now, when you came, well, first off, how did you get recruited uh, to come down to the mainland to play? I didn't. They had open tryouts, just, and I just went. Where was the tryout? Uh, it was at the TAM. So, yeah, flew down to the to the home barn there. And it was the only team I went and tried out for. And I, I thought I could make it. And, you know, it was junior B at the time it was junior B and they had won the national championship the year before. And I was like, well, you know, I had done a little bit of look around at it and me and my dad just got on the plane and flew down there and I went to tryouts and, uh, well, yeah, how did you hear? How did you hear about the team? Was it the fact that they won the national? It was the fact that they won the national, and uh, you know, another kid, uh, another kid up here that I had talked to was you know talking about where he was going to go and try out, and yeah, I don't really recall how it all came down. I just felt like I could make the team, and I hadn't you know this is way before like YouTube or huddle or any of this stuff these kids yeah. use now. So it was like, you know, I'm going to spend a bunch of money and we're going to fly down to the States and I'm going to try out for a team. And, you know, like I said, it was a open tryout. I was able to come down and sign up and, and go try out and, uh, ended up making the team. So, you know, I just, at the time, I thought if I tried out for a junior A team and didn't make it, it was one and done. You know, so I, I kind of felt I was good enough, but I knew nobody knew who I was. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's how it worked out. Just showed up and uh, ended up uh, – the the guys back in the day got us uh, – you know, I mean, it was trials. They just wanted to see the best matchup fight. So, uh, you know, they pit me against uh, Maximilian. Uh, uh, you know, which, Max Howell, uh, Max Howell, man, big dude. I was a skinny kid, and he thumped me, but he broke his hand, if I recall right. I had a boxer break on my big fat forehead, so uh, <laughs> I went back wow. to playing, and he was. He thumped me. I went back to playing, and he went to nursing a a, a busted hand. But uh, I had a, I had a lot to learn on the uh, on the fisticuff side at that point, uh, so. It was a good time. We ended up being good friends. Yeah, Max, uh, in his podcast, referred to you as, uh, he goes, I remember going and looking up and seeing Big John. And he goes, because, <laughs> and, and the thing he said was, he said, I didn't show it because, after all, I was I was there to try and make the team, and I was, t- uh, was trying to be tough. He said, but inside, I was quaking. I was scared. <laughs> he goes, I was quaking in my boots, man. He goes, and I, I mean, it was funny, you know, he goes, cause he goes, and now you know, all these years later, he goes, we're great. But he goes back then I just look up and I see this guy six foot, whatever. And he just, and he goes, I was just like, man, I just hope I don't screw up. He said, that's all it. I was. Max was chiseled, man. Like he'd sit there in the locker room, just intimidated people popping his pecs, you know, like he was, 
the dude was just straight ripped and i was you know i i consider myself kind of country strong you know wiry type guy uh particularly at that time i've i've put on pounds and maybe a little more muscle since then i guess uh but you know i definitely like i knew he was going to be able to to throw pretty good he was a big dude yeah but i mean it was funny when he told me that and i'm thinking max dude because he was no no uh, short guy either he was he's a big tree too so i mean when he when he uh you know i I was like man you are one dude i would not want to go line up against you know on the ice or anything like that so it was uh in course you know like i said him and I think uh, Labby always referred to you as uh, Big John. <laughs> so, because you're what six? You're what six six? Oh, I'm six five and a little bit of change. <laughs> okay, so we'll round it out to six. six. I'd say yeah. I, I'm probably on the downward slide now. You know, past forty. I, uh, I try not to measure older. my height anymore. Yeah, getting older. That's okay. Um, I, I understand that because well, I. I, I celebrate anniversaries of when I turn 40. That tells you how old I am. Uh, but uh, we're talking fossil. But, uh, you know, I mean, still, just the idea. Now, when you first walked into that locker room at tryouts, uh, was there any feeling of, like, uh, intimidation or, like, wow, these guys can play and, you know, any of that stuff? Um. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, there was an interesting dynamic. You know, like I said, because they'd come off winning a national championship. So you had this group of vets that, you know, this was their year type deal. And mm-hmm. you get, you got that feeling that they were as much trying to pick, you know, their team as the coaches were trying to pick a team. Like they wanted to try and keep this thing going. Uh, so there was a lot of there was a lot of that. But no, I, I pretty much knew I, that no one was going to know who the heck I was. So basically, I just needed to come out and and try and stun them, you know, so that I, because I, I, I typically think they probably know who their team is going to be before all those kids show up. You know, I mean, they've watched the tape, they've whatever they've gotten, they've seen these kids, they've recruited them, and they they kind of know. And then you know, maybe there's a couple gray area slots. So yeah, I mean, I, I knew that I just needed to come up, and I figured I would at least see me because I was tall you know i mean well i used to joke i'm like six foot nine by the time you throw on a you know throw skates and a uh and a and a bucket on i'm like six foot nine so i knew that i couldn't be on the ice and not get noticed uh you know if i could just put the put the work in and demonstrate that i could skate and you know knew the game that uh that they'd at least hopefully give me a shot and and work with me and and that's how it worked out Okay, so uh, do you remember your first game at all? Like uh, what it was like, uh, butterflies, uh, any of that kind uh, of stuff? I don't remember really the first game. Um, you know, fights stand out as like butterflies or knowing who was probably going to be. You know, I mean, I was a fourth-line grinder guy. I was, uh, you know, really no danger. If if I tried to carry the, t- the puck too far, Coach Omi was uh, putting his – foot squarely in my hind end i needed to get it to uh you know we had ashley aragona uh who's a dentist now out of out of dallas last gun i had uh yep. his teeth back in after trying to knock him out 
Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he was our hands guy on the on it, and basically Omi wanted me to put bodies on boards every chance I got, and that was a – so, I, I mean, I, I fell into a role at that point, and – you know, I needed to fit the, uh, that was a, that was what they needed. And, you know, that's kind of what I tried to fill in with, but so, uh, you know, on that, there was always like guys you knew on the other side that were more important to their team than I was to my team. So if I could get in their head and throw down with them, then that was part of the job. Well, do you remember who else was on your line besides Ash? I don't actually off the cuff we kind of rotated through a good bit um but i mainly remember ash because he was he had a great shot i mean just he could put the puck wherever he wanted to and he would uh he would try and cash checks that he couldn't <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he could chirp he had the gift of uh yeah oh, i remember man. him i remember uh, yeah. him very well him and Luke Jones were probably the two uh, chattiest guys back then in that era, and uh, yeah. and Labby and Labby was no slouch either. No, oh, yeah, Labby, yeah, he he kept chirping for sure. But no, I actually pull stuff, and I'm just like, I don't know. He, we were in St. Louis, and he got a hold of the back of the goal, like the goalie came out into the playing area. And he just quietly flipped his bucket off. And I'm like, oh, my God, man. <laughs> they had their you know, their big boy defenseman out for, uh, it was what, the Junior Blues. Uh-huh. And that kid was going to just destroy. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, Ash wanted to wanted to go after it, but I, like, I had to get between him. <laughs> it's like, no, buddy, that's, <laughs> you're not going to fight this kid. And, uh, this is that's but, big boy. That's big boy work. Yeah, this is big boy. This is big boy work. I'm not. I can't go back to the bench after you getting dumped by this guy. You know. So this is this is how this is going down. Uh, got me kicked this guy. You know. So this is this is how this is going down. Uh, got me kicked out of that game actually. Wow. So, but uh, now with I mean, I could see that. Like I said. I, that's the one thing, and, and Ashley, like I said, he was a guy, he loved to chirp. He loved to chirp, and, uh, uh, but uh, now, the guys back then, um, were they, like, in the locker room for practice and stuff, were they uh, guys that would pull pranks, or or uh, did they do any kind of rookie uh, initiation for you, or... Oh yeah, nothing I talked about on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there was probably stuff that would get us on the news that uh, you can't do I- anymore. Thank God we didn't have cell phones with cameras back then. Uh, but no, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, there's a we had a couple team uh, team apartments with a bunch of the guys, and then a bunch of us lived in in housing families. So uh, I do remember Zach Hernandez. Um, we all used to go out. There was a, a pancake place that had like dollar twenty five all you can eat pancakes, and we oh we'd yeah, Uncle there John's. Eat. Yeah, it's still there. And, uh, is it? That's awesome. But yep. uh, this poor waitress, you know, I mean, 
there's like the whole team showing up. We're killing stacks of pancakes. They're trying to bring them out. We're all drinking water. Like our total spins like a dollar fifty with tip each. Yeah, it's just terrible for these poor people. But uh, this poor girl walks by and she drops something. And Zach, every once in a while, I would fire people whenever he didn't actually have any ability to fire anybody. But he just goes <laughs> off the glass. And him as a customer stood up and looks at her and goes, you're fired. And uh, she actually absolutely ran out crying, like, <laughs> felt so bad. And he, the look on his face, like, oh, it was just a joke. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, we had some, we had some pretty good times. Oh, my gosh. That is, I mean, I probably would have killed him. But if, uh, <laughs> if I was, but uh, that is funny, though. I got to admit, that is funny. Um, but uh See, because the the kids nowadays they don't understand the 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 humor behind a good leaner. Uh, they, I mean, I had to explain to a couple of them what leaners were. The newer kids, uh, yeah. more recent, the more recent alumni, uh, I had to explain what leaners were, and and that's fine. But uh, you know, now they're really into uh, shoe check, and which is where they uh, someone if they go to a team function out to eat. Someone sneaks in under the table and puts uh, puts a little ketchup on your shoe. And when someone yells "shoe check," you have to check. And if you got but if if you got sh- uh, ketchup on your shoe, you had to do whatever they wanted. And usually it was like stuff like you had to stand up in the middle of the restaurant and sing uh, karaoke yeah. or whatever, and that kind of thing. Um, but um, of course, again, like we said, they didn't they didn't have uh, they didn't have you know, basically computers and their cell phones, uh, yeah. like they, you know, back then, like they do now. So you got to kind of be careful a little bit, but I mean, still, uh, the putting water in somebody's helmet in the locker room, uh, right before practice or putting a clear tape over the skate blades. That's always, oh, yeah. always time, yeah. time and tested true, really good, uh, really good, uh, pranks that you can pull. But uh, from what you can remember, who would you say was probably the most genuinely funniest guy in the locker room? Oh, that's a pretty good question. I don't know. We had a bunch of characters. Lobby was pretty funny. Uh, he always, if he wasn't funny, he made up for it by being loud. Uh, <laughs> we did have stupid pranks. I think some of the guys duct taped one of the one of someone's vehicle, like just put a layer of duct tape over it. Uh, all the windows just for fun. Um, we used to, we had the hardcore belt was kind of a, yeah, I don't know. We used to get to kind of watch WWE. I don't even know if that's even something that the guys do anymore, but yeah, we'd get together and watch that. This is the Dawson Creek era. And you know, what's her name? Joe, the girl that played Joey was from Toledo. Yeah. So some of the, some of the guys had like gone to school with her. So we'd get together and watch that and laugh. But now we had the, uh, the hardcore belt. This is way before the you know, football teams had uh, takeaway chains and all this stuff. But if you, whoever yeah. did the stupidest thing, you know, there was like ongoing dares or bets. If you could do something that would be either ridiculously brave or ridiculously stupid, we were always passing, you'd win the belt. We were always passing the belts around. I think I got it at one point for drinking a water glass full of syrup, uh, oh. which is, sounds, does not sound nearly as bad as it is. I, 
I don't think I ever told any of the guys, but I managed to quietly throw that up between two cars while we were walking back to the truck without letting anybody know. (laughs) (laughs) It was a waste of a dollar 25 worth of pancakes. I can tell you that. Uh, Do not drink syrup. (laughs) Probably good. You're right. Probably a good thing. Oh my gosh. That is funny. See, that's, I love hearing this stuff. Um, now, uh, you, I mean, oh man, my stomach's killing me thinking about that. But um, the uh, so who had the who had the hardcore belt the longest? Do you think who had a, the longest reign? Oh, honestly, I don't know. Um, yeah, there was such a such kind of a, a there was so many people that were older and always out of the. Uh, you know, I was doing the stay at a host family type deal. So I wasn't at the apartments as much. So it usually got passed around over there. You know, I, I came down with like an 87 thunder, 87 Ford Thunderbird. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was a terrible car when it rolled off the line at Ford, it didn't get any better 11, 12 years (laughs) later. Uh, you know, the paint literally looked like it was primer. It didn't, it was the original paint. I think it it was like primer gray, like Ford just said, we're going to paint this car like it's been primed and that's the finished color. Uh, but yeah, we used to, I used to roll around in that. I worked at the, Oh, what the Wyndham hotel, I think is a valet, uh, which is a pretty good time. Um, had a couple of the other guys, uh, what was it? I think Chris Kachuriak worked with me and you know, a couple of the other guys. So that was a good time rolling around there. I used to go up in Oregon and, uh, you know, all the rail, they can't build a railroad level with the ground up there. I don't know, maybe it's for overflow or what, but we Dukes a hazard that car. I think it had a bow in the frame by the time, by the time I finished up, uh, I never could keep hubcaps <laughs> on it. I, I could never keep oh hubcaps on it. We'd be knocking hubcaps off, jumping, uh, had a oh catalytic converter got clogged up on it, so I got back there and uh, uh, Rob's dad, uh, Rob Kurt's dad, had a, a pneumatic drill, and I found like a half inch drill bit and just ran a bunch of holes in the in the catalytic converter on it, and beat it with a hammer, and broke it all up. So at that point, you drive down the road and it sounds just terrible. You let off the gas, it's ba 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 ba, you know. So uh, <laughs> we'd roll around in that. Uh, we went up to, uh, we went up to, ah, what is the town across the, uh, up north of Detroit on the Canadian side, uh, Windsor, Windsor. Yeah. We rode up to Windsor. Uh, some of the guys, uh, I forget whose car it was. It might've been, it wasn't Zach's. I did. I don't remember whose car it was. I just remember them explaining like what were normal noises and what were not normal noises on this beater that we're all taking off and driving to Canada on. We lost the darn thing mm-hmm. for like half a day parked somewhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little more lenient drinking ages up there. So we were trying to have a little bit of fun and walked out. And I don't know, we'd turned left and we should have turned right or something, but we kind of wandered around, wandered around Windsor for a while trying to find our car. Oh my gosh. That is too funny. Now, um, but well, at least you made it back by curfew. I hope. <laughs> Probably. We at least convinced them we did. (laughs) (laughs) That's your story and you're sticking to it. But uh, anyway, so 
Now, you played uh, part of one season, right? You played, uh, how many games did you play in a Toledo uniform? Oh, I finished that season. Uh, we played out. We we won. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, depending, I was fourth liner, so we'd get rolled in or rolled out based on whatever was, you know, whatever the needs were. Uh, uh-huh. You know, at that time, fighting would get you kicked out. Would get you a one game suspension pretty routinely. So we had a pretty good rotation of guys that got to watch, uh, got to watch from the stands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was a, uh, a you know. I finished the season out. That was, I don't know. The guys were pretty excited because we won the, we won the season and then we won the, uh, the gold cup. And then mm-hmm. we, uh, we really fell like we had been really cohesive and everything at that point. And then we kind of fell apart in nationals and just, you know, didn't have it together. Uh, yeah, you know, so I don't know what it was. Everybody's family's flying in and getting off the game, or if we managed to be intimidated by some of these guys or what. But uh, there was a lot of, you know, I know our vets were because they didn't win everything the year before. I think they won like the season and then nationals or gold cup and nationals, but they didn't. They wanted to win all three. You know, all three titles in a season was really the big goal. So we definitely did not, you know, we fell short at the nationals. So I don't know. We, we'd been pretty intense on it up to that. Yeah, they had to, well, I know uh, the year before that was like my second season. Um, they won. Um, they only lost three games all year, but yeah. they tied a whole boatload of them. Uh, yeah. Like near the end. And I know they, um, I know they, it was a, they didn't just, uh, cruise right through. They did not, they had to, uh, yeah. they had to fight for everything. I mean, and, uh, to get to, uh, to get to nationals that year and yeah. but, uh, with your team. No, the reason I asked about part of, I couldn't, I, like I said, I'm doing this from a very clouded memory. Uh, was it, did you get traded or was I didn't that, get am traded. I, um, I didn't get traded. Um, I did finish the season out. I, I okay. do recall us having some small trade at, at one point, but I don't remember who went where. Uh, okay. I know it was some, one or two of the guys I thought went up, you know, basically stepped up and went to an A team at some point, but I thought that happened pretty early. Okay. So now, um, I mean, what was your, uh, I mean, was your goal to play more than one year in Toledo? Um, I wanted to try and get a ride on college. You know, that was kind of my, I wanted to try and I didn't have college savings and that was kind of the direction I wanted to see if I could get in and maybe, you know, maybe get a, a chance to get some college paid for. Uh, you know, I grew up, my dad was a military guy, you know, uh, retired military now. And uh, so I was just trying to, to figure that out. I mean, that's really a reason that I, you know, I, I got in a fight. As a matter of fact, the fight that uh, Ashley got me into, uh, the St. Louis sting was down there. Now then I think they were, I don't know. They were American West hockey league or something. I think, I don't remember what they, they kind of moved around a little bit after that. Uh, but they came over and, and talked to me a little bit after that game, but I didn't play in the game very long. You know, I think I actually managed to score a goal, which is like one of three I had the whole season, maybe. Uh, and then Ashley got me in a fight, and 
which I won handily, but the kid was young and I got in his head and I looked to me, I looked way tougher in that fight than, you know, and there's no video. I don't even think it happened all pretty early in the game. And I, when I thought about it in the off season, I'm like, colleges definitely aren't looking for boxers. And I don't know if I really want to go be, you know, you can only climb to so many bigger ponds and eventually I'm going to spit my teeth out. You know, I'm yeah. not going to win. Uh, I had pretty good success, you know, uh, up to that point with not getting my face beat in and uh you know i felt victorious in most of my fights uh, aside from the one with uh with uh max but uh you know so uh i thought about it in the off season and my longtime girlfriend at the time had uh, graduated high school and was headed to the military and we bs'd about it and you know i Looked into it, found a job that I thought would be, you know, a, a good opportunity. Tested well on the uh, on the ASVAB, and you know, was able to go out and like turnkey start life. So, uh, matter of fact, I think St. Louis called to figure out where I was going to be down for the uh, for the their camp, and my dad was like, "Oh, you should have called earlier. He just, you know, he enlisted. He's gone." <laughs> so. Uh, Oops. but I had zero regrets about it at all. Um, you know, I, I didn't have the hand eye coordination that I needed to be able to, you know, some of the guys were so quick and they, you know, I mean, you see, I'm like, oh, these guys all the NHL, they're like batting the puck out of the air and stuff. And, uh, I don't know. Once I got in the military and got my eyes checked, I, I, basically had enough of a stigmatism that it affected my depth perception and okay. you know six foot five 220 pounds with bad depth perception you've got one job in hockey man you know what i mean like yeah. if i can't one time the puck if i can't stay in front of the net one time the puck uh you know i could stick handle pretty good coach wouldn't let me do it uh but if you, <laughs> you wanted me to bang bodies in front of the net clear it out and you know, whenever they send the puck to me, I needed to be able to put it in the net. I'd miss the damn thing. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to do that too many times for a coach. It's like, oh yeah, just hit that guy. And if you know, number 15, 17 or 22, if you can convince one of them to fight, throw down with them, they're all hot headed. And you know, if you can get them tossed out of the game or locked up in the box, you should, you should take that opportunity. And, yeah, I had fun in the role, but it wasn't it wasn't where I was going to go long term. And you know, they don't have that role in college, so that's true. That's very true. Okay. I mean, I'd say it shouldn't be there. It'd make college hockey more interesting, but you know. Yeah, well, I was going to say it'd save on the stick work. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. But um, anyway, so um, so so you went in the military. Uh, it, I mean. Tell me what uh, that was like. I mean, obviously, how long were you in the military? I did eight years, uh, a couple tours to Iraq. And uh, honestly, the, you know, I grew up, and even when I was playing hockey as a kid, I never had a real team. Like, I was from the Valley. I played in Anchorage. So I would just show up at practice. And these kids in Anchorage all played together every day. Like, they went to school together and everything else. So, you know, a good group. So, so they were friends and sure. I was this big kid that came from the Valley, showed up to practice, 
we weren't friends. I came there to play hockey and, you know, they'd get all upset if I lay them out and practice or whatever. And you know, we just weren't friends. We didn't hang out. Uh, so I never really, until I got to Toledo, I never had really like had a group of guys that where we were cohesive and friends. You know, we, I played with a bunch of really good hockey players, but that was the first time where, you know, I had to be no support, you know, first time away from home, big group of guys had to figure out that whole dynamic of being one of the guys. Uh, so it was a great learning opportunity. It helped me out a lot in the military. You know, whenever I rolled into basic and everything else, I was already so comfortable being in, you know, a mixed group of guys that, you know, it was uh, probably a little more comfortable than some of the, uh, some of the guys in my, uh, in my squad would have appreciated because, you know, we had no worries in the locker room at all after showering with a bunch of hockey players. So you just roll around and I'm shaving everything else and, you know, so uh, most of these other kids are fresh out of the house and <laughs> you know, a little more modest. <laughs> I just didn't care. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's great. We, so, but it, so now it was a good time. Go no, so, uh, like uh, you said, you went to Iraq. And by the way, thank you for your service because I don't take that lightly, I don't do that as lip service. That's absolutely genuine. That I appreciate what you did, what you did. Thank you. Um, and also, uh, you know, were there any other, uh, interesting spots or hot spots that you went to during your time? Um, I did. So I was medical equipment repair. I worked at the hospital at Ellis Anaconda, Balad Air Base. So I was the, I was their guy that took care of the CAT scans and all that stuff, which is, you know, basically the key, if you get shot, man or, you know, shrapnel blown up, whatever, that's what they put you in to figure out what was going on. So that was my baby was keeping those things going. And, uh, we had a system that basically allowed, there was CAT scans and, and equipment at different hospitals around Iraq and our hospital had the neurosurgeons. So, you know, any head injuries or whatever, they need to get that, those images to our hospital and the system that we used to do that, uh, you know, it was pretty regularly having problems. We'd go offline. There was nobody trained on how to work on it. So I kind of learned that and just worked with the vendor and figured that out, got it up and working and, uh, you know, basically got it actually working so that we we're able to, you know, get images in and stuff from these, uh, patients that before they were flown to our hospital, we'd already have their head CT and, and all that stuff. So that was kind of a, a neat bunch of work that I got to do at that point. And, after my second tour, uh, my wife, we were having our three kids, our third kid, uh, was born on my second tour. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so she had decided she wanted to be done. She was also active duty and we wanted to get back to Alaska to raise our kids. Um, so that was kind of in the goals at that point. And, uh, you know, whenever I finished that last tour, I just, I, Came back stateside, you know, I, they kept me over for about half again this, the time I was supposed to be there because we were building a new hospital and I knew all the imaging systems and was the expert on it. So they didn't want to let me leave. I had developed, I had planned and picked all the new equipment for the new hospital and, you know, the layout was building it with a bunch of uh, Turkish guys. Uh, they had bought a bunch of Turkish contractors and flew them in to build the hospital. Uh, so, you know, I was 
to help him do all the layout and IT side stuff with that. So once I got that hospital finished, uh, they sent me home. I had like 90 days, 95 days of PTO or something like that, that I'd booked up. was never took any time off. And, uh, I went to my commander. He released me to go on basically three months of paid terminal leave, which is not something they typically do to somebody that's been in, you know, eight years. But I told him, I was like, Oh, I've been gone for 10 months and they've been working without me. I'd really like to go see my family. I don't even have a house here anymore. Like we've sold everything. Um, I, I will pitch a tent over on the campground at Big Dill Air Force Base and come here and shower every day and show up if that's what you say I got to do. But I'd really like to go back to Alaska and see my family. And he signed off on that. And uh, two weeks later, I was flying back to Alaska. And uh, a year after that, the company that I had worked with to keep their systems running reached out to me because I had got it running in 2005 and 2007 and kept it up and got it to where it needed to be. And they had got a contract to, uh, to maintain the systems all over Iraq. And they reached out to me and asked me if I would go back to work this like unbelievable schedule. It's going to be four months on eight months, you know, four months in country, eight months home. And while I was home, I'd worked from home. Uh, they had prison contracts and Navy ship contracts and a bunch of other stuff. So I would maybe occasionally fly out and do some installs for those. Uh, but mostly remote support from my home. So I'd be able to spend every day with my family. And I was like, this is the best deal ever. Paid super good, like double what I was making. And uh, I talked to my wife and was like, yeah, this is a great opportunity for me to go in and like fill the holes that I wasn't able to do whenever I was active duty because, you know, they wouldn't, it was an E5. Uh, you know, they listened to me on my specific stuff, but they, you know, I didn't have a lot, a loud voice on, you know, fixing some of these major systems. So yeah, a year later I was back over wearing khakis and, you know, contractor gear, making way more money and flying around the back of helicopters, fixing the systems that didn't work all over, all over Iraq. So I did that from 2000 and beginning of 2009 to 2013. Uh, the four months on eight months off that didn't work out. I was more like, nine months on one or two off and they never could find or keep anybody that you know was just a had the aptitude because you were they just dropped you over there you know you didn't go with a unit or anything it's like oh we think you should fly to this base and then you know this is the command that oversees the contract so you should go talk to this guy there and like that's it like i gotta got my passport got my plane ticket flew out of country landed in you know, I landed in, uh, what victory base complex, the VBC, uh, at a Baghdad international airport, you know, on a, a darn C one thirty or C 17 and like walked off and had to find people and figure out, like build the whole, you know, whenever I first got there, no one had been there. So I had to figure it all out. And you know, we didn't even know where all our equipment was. So anyway, it was a neat experience. Uh, you know, because I was, prior service and, and had some experience, I was a little more able to just sort it out. Uh, so they struggled to get qualified people in after that. And they would let me stay as long as I wanted to stay and, and then some. So, <laughs> I bet. So it was a good time. So, I finished up in Afghanistan uh, in, in 2013. I did one trip to Afghanistan, hated the whole country. It's a terrible place. The, uh, 
you know, it was all Western culture, all the bases in Iraq, and everybody got into the the Afghanistan. You know, we had uh, Georgians, and I mean, I've been to Georgia. Like Georgia people are bad enough. Like the Georgian country, very interesting group of. Uh, I would just put it this way: the hygiene and sanitation levels, like that, we kept on our Western bases with Aussies and. Uh, you know, English and Americans and Canadians was remarkably different than what was uh, what was held in many of the bases in Afghanistan. And yeah, I felt like it. I know I always felt like the Iraq was kind of my place. And you know, I never really had a lot of interest. I never was part of Afghanistan on active duty. So uh, yeah, I exited that. Quick as you could, yeah. because I could. Yep, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I was done. They put me in a wood building on a base that got mortared heavily. And mind you, I take care of CAT scans. I know, you know, historically, like I know what can be imaged and what can't. Wood is not very radiolucent. It does not show up. Wood and glass is terrible to find. You know, it just does not show up. Whereas metal rock stone anything like that you're like oh look there's a rock there's a bullet there's whatever wood you know they got a piece dig it out of you and i'm living in a wood building while people oh, are no. tossing mortars at me i'm like i'd rather sleep in a field so yeah i was over it i uh yeah it was a it was a gritty place the the mountains cold snowy miserable and yeah i uh i can't say i enjoyed either one but once we shut down Iraq, I felt like I was kind of mission complete. Yeah, that makes, that would make sense. I can understand that. So, uh, so when you came back to civilian life, um, I mean, being in Alaska, you've got what, three kids now? I do. I have three. My oldest is 18. I got an 18, 17, and my youngest is closing in on 14. Holy cow. I know. We didn't. We planned on starting at 26. We finished at 26. I don't know. I'm glad (laughs) we never had any issues in high school or anything like that. You know, wait for marriage and all that stuff. But uh, every time that every time I came home from anywhere, apparently me and uh, (laughs) we had another kid on the way. (laughs) Well, hey, that just meant you guys missed each other and you loved each other. So must be. Must be. Yep. And then the fact that you were willing to go with whatever rustic was. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, well, John, I tell you, this has been this has been one of the more fascinating uh, uh, podcasts I've done. I mean, let me ask you a couple things before we go here. <clears throat> Number one. Are your kids, did you uh, start them young with hockey or uh did you get them interested in the, are they as interested in the not game at their ages? Hockey. Not a one no, of them really. plays hockey. Yeah, not a one. They all play football. Uh, my oldest was a receiver, uh, dabbled in quarterback a little bit, um, graduated uh, last year, and they finished. They actually knocked off the defending state champs. Uh, wow. in the but they were the they were the bottom tier going into the playoffs, knocked off the defending state champs, and then lost a close one in the semis. Uh, and then this year, COVID ruined everything for uh, you know for, for my middle son. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this year, 
you know, I've got one left playing. He plays uh, inside linebacker, and he's been the team's fullback since he was a sophomore. He's just – he's not nearly – my oldest is like six foot three, skinny, looks a lot like I did back in the day. My middle son is – stocky you know he got all the wife's side genetics he's more muscular than me stocky and kid has zero fear at all he always played up with his older brother because i wasn't taking him you know he always weighed enough to be able to play up but the coaches wouldn't even realize how young he was uh but yeah he played with his 18 year old brother you know so whenever he came in as a sophomore he just didn't go play for the JV team. Like he played C team his first year and then they showed up and he just went to practice with the varsity guys and the coach, you know, the, the JV coach was like, dude, you can't just decide to be varsity. It's like, I want to play with these. You played with these kids his whole life. Uh, he'd always played, you know, with the older kids. Yeah. He always played with the older kids and always, you know, after the first year, once he stopped like looking at butterflies and stuff and went, Oh, this game's kind of fun. You know, after that, he'd always played up. So it, not only did he play up, he'd hit like a truck, uh, just wow. no fear. You know, some kids can hit and some kids can't, you know, like you yeah. can take the same measurables and that's hockey or football or anything, you know, two people, everything's the same bench press squats, hundred percent identical on paper. One of them will hit like a Mack truck and the other one is a pillow. Like it doesn't make any sense. You can't, you can't teach it. They either have it or they don't. You just got to search it out. And uh, yeah, my middle son is, I don't know, he reminds me of that Carl Saltz kid. Like I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to hit him, <laughs> uh, but now nah, he's been breaking arms and stuff since he was like nine. It's just ridiculous. Uh, makes you, <laughs> well, we had kids that wouldn't play against him. Uh, you know, like when he was, when he was little, literally he had, he ran to tackle somebody that handed him the ball. <laughs> wow. Like, I'm not going to get killed by this kid. Here you go. The, the <laughs> end, our, our end zone's down there. But uh, yeah, I mean, my family's from Alabama. Uh, my, you know, my dad and everybody, my grandfather, my uncle's a huge Alabama fan. So I grew up as a, as an Alabama fan, which was tough in Buckeye, Buckeye nation over there. Yeah kind of keep that in my back pocket as being a Bama fan. But, uh, yeah, so yeah, that's what my kids grew up with. They, my wife tried them at hockey for a year and neither one of them really cared for it. And we were pretty broke and three kids is a heck of a lot of money to, uh, to try and, and keep in skates and ice time. So, uh, football was still expensive, but a heck of a lot cheaper. And yeah, they all absolutely loved it. So that's the, that's road on. If you don't mind, I was going to show you outside. It's going to be. There's a reason I have the window blocked, but I, I did want to show you where my uh, where my cabin is here without getting a seasick. Uh, don't worry, I'm uh, a big gonna... boy. I can handle it. <laughs> but this is uh, if you're able to see this. This is our background over here. This is why I'm up in my cabin right now. Oh my goodness, I could understand why. So that uh, for yeah. those of you listening on the podcast here. This thing is absolutely stunning, the view, with the mountains in the background, the mountain ranges, uh, the trees, and covered in snow. Everything's covered in snow. It's a, it's like postcard perfect. Yeah, so, so this, is our, this is our place. That was uh, Nelchina. That's the Chigash Mountains and Nelchina Glacier back there. So this is, uh, I got it set up. Like, as you can tell, I'm able to do all this. 
I can run a podcast or, well, I can be on a podcast from here, which isn't something I would normally do, but uh, I do work exclusively remote. Uh, I do IT work now. I kind of parlayed that gig with the, uh, you know, with the, with the company doing IT work around. And that's kind of how I transitioned out of medical equipment repair. And, and I just, I literally work for Providence St. Joseph health and I do cardiac uh, applications for their, we're up to like 52 hospitals from Texas to Texas, all the way up to Alaska, mostly along the Western seaboard. And mm-hmm. I can do that from this spot, you know, which oh, is, a, wow. it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, it is. I'd say so. And then some, well, okay. Uh, now the other question I had for you is, um, do you ever find yourself in a spot where you would might be interested in, somehow getting back involved with the game at all, whether it be coaching, whether, you know, any kind of thing like that? Uh, yeah. One of the guys that I work with, uh, you know, it's on my extended team. He just done some coaching and stuff and plays a little beer league. And uh, if I got back in shape, then I might give it a shot. I, I got myself up to about 300 pounds. I'm back down to about 248 right now. So, uh, mm-hmm. I tell you what, man, 300 pounds, one skates don't fit right. Nothing fits right. I couldn't, you know, even at 270, I couldn't get around worth the darn. I, I wanted to cough a lung up, uh, just, you know, talk about short shifts, man. I was like, there was no back checking in my beer league at all. I, I was lucky if I could, you know, figure out how to four check. Uh, so now I mostly just, uh, you know, like I said, I, I watched my kids play. I hadn't really, uh, I like hockey gave me a lot, you know, a lot of who I am now was built on that. Uh, you know, I, I think I owed the Salido a lot because that opportunity to go out and, you know, have this like first, you know, time away from home where the coaches did a good job of keeping us reined in, but we still had enough freedom to, you know, do some pretty stupid stuff without doing any go to jail stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, had a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a really good opportunity, but I haven't, you know, after walking away from it and getting over the first few years, whenever I'd like go watch a hockey game, like I went and watched the, uh, yeah, I went and watched the Lightning play in two thousand and four. It was like the last or their their first uh, Stanley Cup year, I yeah. would say. Uh, but I was in so I was in Tampa. I was assigned to McDill Air Force Base down there in Tampa, and I got to go to a game. And I don't know, there was a, I just didn't, it didn't seem as fast as it should have seemed to me. And it's like, uh, it's just not the same as playing. So I never really watched it or, or got into it. And once my kids went into football, I almost like that. Cause I know nothing about like the functions of the game. I never played football as a kid. So I could just go and be like, yeah, you did good, kid, and not get into the minutia. I would have got so much into the minutia with my kids of, you know, how to play, what they should be doing. That uh, I don't know. I, maybe our relationship would be better for that. But I think that they like the fact that I was just there to watch them play, you know. And uh, so maybe not going it. through, maybe not going through all the minutia probably also may have made it even better too because they didn't have to sit there and uh, might get see things micromanaged to death, you know? Yeah, I was so, just able to watch. 
exactly. I was just able to watch the game and, you know, nod whenever they had a different vision in their head of what happened on the field and what actually happened on the field as I was watching from the stands. But I didn't know what to tell them to make anything different. You know what I mean? But yeah, I would, I could pick apart a kid playing hockey all day, you know, how they line up. I played defense as a kid and wing is, uh, you know, I played defense mostly, mostly when I was younger and then, uh, you know, mostly wing at the high school and junior level. And so, yeah, I would have, you know, where they should have passed, how they should line up, how to move guys. Yeah. I, I they had been ate up with me and frustrated for sure. <laughs> Okay. Well, last question. Um, I always usually end them like this, and that is uh, a lot of people will be listening different eras, including the era that you played. Is there anything you want to say to Cherokee Nation? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's been fun seeing the guys on Facebook because, I mean, all of us are like legit adults at this point, which is kind of weird. Most of the guys have families. You know, I think Rob was in the Navy or is in the Navy. Uh, Rob Kurt, who I you know, stayed with back in the day. Um, so no, it's just, it's been fun. It's, it's a neat world that we live in where I can still have a little window into what they're all doing. Um, but yeah, it's been fun watching them all be adults. Uh, Max appears to have a, a booming business going uh, down there in, in Kansas city. I believe he's mm-hmm. still down there. So yep. uh, no, I'm just a, uh, was, his son, his son just got accepted uh, on a scholarship to play football, uh, right out just down south of Toledo at Bowling Green. I saw that. That's awesome. Yeah, yep. Cassius, I think is his name. I've been yep. watching the uh, watching the offers and stuff come in. Uh, super pumped for him down there. That's uh, that's really awesome. You know, Max could have gone and played. Uh, Max is a football player as well, as I recall. He's mm-hmm. super fast, and uh, you know, I think he would have been able to play at the next level. Max was always going to do something, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I, I've been impressed with seeing everything that he's managed to put together. And that's true for a lot of the guys. I mean, I, I ran into Ashley. Uh, I was in North Texas assigned and Ash was down at, uh, in Dallas. So, you know, we were close by and everything. So I think I got to meet up with him like once as he was rolling through and doing you know, getting his life started. So nah, it's been fun seeing everybody grow up from where we were. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's really cool seeing everybody be real adults. Stummer. Uh, I wouldn't want to be stummer. I'm glad I had boys, man. Uh, <laughs> or, or, uh, he looks like he has some great girls, but man, I, I remember Derek from back in the day. And uh, I, I'm amazed he has more hair than me, man. I, I got to worry about <laughs> exactly uh, three three guys three young men in my world and uh i would uh i don't envy his position yeah that's true but anyway well i'll tell you what john uh you know for just doing this on short notice and uh i appreciate you very much for doing it and also the fact that i figured i honestly was like okay if we can get in maybe 45 minutes or something That'd be great. You know, we'll get to know John a little bit and call it a day. Dude, we're almost at an hour and a half and it only feels like it was 10 minutes. That tells you it's good. Okay. That means you did great because uh, like I I said, it, it, when you, when it only feels like 10 minutes, you know, you're doing something right. So you did, you did good. 
So I appreciate, appreciate that. Honestly, I think me and any of the guys, if we ever ran into each other again, you know, it prepared me a lot for the military because it's the same deal with my military friends. Uh, you know, we may not talk all the time. We don't reach out to each other. You know, we passively follow each other on Facebook or whatever. But if we ever end up in the same place, we can pick up like it never, you know, like right where you left, left off. off. Mm-hmm. So, yep. That's a thing of beauty. Well, I appreciate it, John. And, uh, hey, um, maybe someday because we're talking about wanting to have a uh, a reunion here. And so who knows what the future holds. Hopefully, maybe if maybe if the stars line up right, maybe someday you can come down and visit and uh, go to a game and uh, we can go sit in the stands and have a couple pops and tall, tall tales. So <laughs> that, that would great. be a good time. Yes, it would. And then you can always just tell, tell your wife, honey, let's go. Let's go somewhere south. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you have to say. There's beaches nearby. I mean, it's really big beaches. Might yeah, be a there's lake, water. but uh, yeah, <laughs> there's water. It's, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a freshwater beach. It's That's really large. Neat. There's large ships out there. Yeah, it's called Lake Erie. <laughs> but hey, whatever. <laughs> anyway, well, I tell you what, John, I appreciate this, bud. And uh, hey, we'll talk again, I'm sure. Thanks, buddy. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep, you bet. Well, that's John Freeman, and this is episode 50 of the Cherokee Rewind. Don't forget, please uh, subscribe with whatever platform you use, whether Spotify, uh, Google, or Amazon podcasts, you can download. And uh, when you subscribe, it'll let you know when a new episode drops. So please do that. And we'll talk to you again next time. We appreciate it so much. For John Freeman, I'm Mick. And we'll talk to you again right here on the Cherokee Rewind.